Hey, everybody, and welcome to SR155 Q&A. We have some fun questions today, and we're going to kick this right off. Again, these are actually from our patrons, so if you want to ask a question, patreon.com slash surveillance pod. And now let's dive into it. We're going to open with Benny's question, which is, what are your guys' opinions on decentralized VPNs like Mysterium? I like them because of the abundance of residential IPs to get around VPN blacklisting, but I was wondering what your guys' opinion is of them from a privacy perspective. Then they also ask about our uh, one desktop OS for the rest of our lives. If we had to choose one, you definitely know a lot more about this than I do. I literally, I'm not going to lie to you guys, before this video started, I looked up what is a decentralized VPN and found an article from Surfshark, unfortunately, but I, I feel like it gave me enough information to have somewhat of an opinion. Um, it sounds to me like, uh, the main drawback for a DVPN would be that you're, it's the same issue with a regular VPN is you're just transferring trust, except now you don't know who you're trusting. It sounds like, cause at least with a company like Proton or Mulvad or IVPN, there's kind of that track record there. And there's usually, hopefully there's like transparency reports or some kind of way to get more information about them. Whereas like with a DVPN, like I, I don't know who's hosting that that server i i don't know anything about them i don't know i just don't know i don't know i I, again very little like five minutes of education here but personally i wouldn't trust it and also to be honest like vpn blacklisting i I never have that issue i I don't know maybe it's me because i honestly i don't use most of the websites that most people do i i think i've had some weird issues with like bleeping computer blocking me every now and then but I get blocked on Tor way more than any VPN I can think of. The the most I get is on Proton. For some reason, Brave makes me do a capture when I do Brave Search on Proton sometimes. But that's the closest I've ever had to a blacklisting issue, personally. I'm not really opposed to decentralized VPNs. Uh, my understanding is that they can be a pretty nice middle ground. Um, between Tor and VPN, but I think it's all about the implementation. So I'm not super familiar with Mysterium. Really the only similar thing to a decentralized VPN that I have actually any kind of education on would be uh, Say Things SPN, because I got to talk to their team about it and I understand how they implement it. And we did do an interview about that on TechLore if you want to see it. But aside from that, it's really going to come down to the implementation because I think there probably are ways, Nate, to like have a model where it doesn't matter who's hosting it. Like there's, it's still a trustless system, kind of like Tor. Um, okay. Because it doesn't matter if some random person, I guess people can still do malicious things if they get enough Tor nodes and they actively are trying to target individuals. But I think for the average person, it's still more than safe enough. Um, so personally, I would just don't know the implementation of something like Mysterium well enough to comment on it. But I'm not against the concepts. Um, I also just personally feel like for me and most people using a VPN is probably fine for them and still covers most of their use cases. And then if they need Tor, they have Tor browser. It's a pretty nice workflow for a lot of people, but yeah, yeah. I think we, I I think I kept this in, in the last Q and a or episode we did, but I mentioned a, a situation where it's like, if I was in a high threat model, I wouldn't even trust any VPN. Like even the ones I trust now, like Mulvad and Proton and I, I just I wouldn't trust them if I had a really high threat model. I'd be going with like Tor or something like that. So, yeah, uh, just kind of to what you're saying, like for the average person, if if I can't trust Proton with it, I probably wouldn't trust anyone <laughs> with it. But right. I said one more thought. You said of residential IPs. Um, I I know Proton's Proton Plus, or I guess it's unlimited now. Oh, they the whichever plan they say you can stream content from like Netflix and Disney Plus and stuff like that. 
I've asked them before how they do that, and basically they use residential IPs. The next question is kind of a fun one. If you could run only one desktop operating system for the rest of your life and could never use anything else, what would you pick? <laughs> I'm going to say right away, I'm going to cheat a little bit on this question because I'm still going to reserve the right to use virtual machines. <laughs> so that is my cheat. Um, but I'd say like running a host OS, uh, it's tough. I, for me, it would come down to either Fedora or macOS. And I'd probably be like tearing my hair out trying to decide between the two. It's just a tough decision to have to commit to one OS till the end of time. But I think I would pick Fedora mainly because I'd have more faith in like the open source community. Because I'm thinking long term here, you know, like I'm thinking way long term, like 10, 20 years from now, I'm going to trust Fedora to hopefully be in a better place than Mac OS. See, at this point in time, it, and see, that's a good question. Where are things going to end up? Because right now, this may surprise people, I think my answer is going to be Windows. But only because I don't do a lot of gaming, and I, I don't do anywhere near as much audio production as I wish I did and used to. But right now, like, the only Linux distro that I really like is Cubes, which I know is technically not Linux, whatever. And so, like, I've tried gaming on Cubes, and it's abysmal. Um, I do want to play around more with GPU pass through. I haven't had an opportunity to do that yet, but right now it's just, I can't even run like anything more advanced than a Game Boy game really with any degree of usability. So like, and don't even get me started on all the like third party plugins for audio and stuff like that. The like things I need, dude, I'd be lost without, you should see my audio signal chain in DaVinci. It's pretty bad. Um, right and well, and those are things that just don't work on linux period and so so at that point it's like okay so i can either do mac or windows but then mac doesn't really do gaming no. <laughs> so and it's you know i i like to game that's one of my hobbies that's one of my my ways i i get downtime and i relax and i, I don't get to do it as much as i wish i did but you know so it's kind of like taking all that into consideration it's like right now i'm gonna have to say windows but <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're thinking long-term, like maybe someday if the GPU pass-through support on cubes gets better and I could just spin up a virtual machine, stick enough resources there and just move on like normal, then I totally would. But I do want to experiment with that actually, so. Right. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm thinking too. I guess more context for those wondering. On my end, I'm thinking about video production. I'm thinking about photo right. production. I'm thinking about design software. I'm thinking about uh, gaming. I'm thinking about all these things, where they're at now and where they might be in the future. And as of right now, I would pick Mac OS if it's the only OS I have access to. And I can't pick anything else for my host OS, then I'd probably pick Mac OS as like the best overall middle ground for myself. But I would also probably pick Fedora as well, just because you can do GPU pass through in Fedora pretty okay. I just And see that I could see because I know like Nick from the Linux experiment, he uses Fedora and also uses DaVinci. So I know it's possible and I know there there mm -hmm. has been he talks about it every week on his podcast. Like there has been a lot of progress made on gaming on Linux. It's the audio stuff that's killing me right now. Like, dude, if I could get waves and pro tools to work on Linux, this would be a very different conversation. Right. For but, me, I'd love to see the affinity suite on Linux. Okay. Next we'll go to Mr. Camel. Um, I, I'm probably just going to read the, the first part of this and not go into all the details, but you say, what would y'all's recommendation for a good place to get a URL from? I think you're talking about a domain name. Um, I, you, you say right now you're using Cloudflare cause they're cheap, they're easy, but you don't like the fact that they're, you know, very centralized, which I totally understand. We've covered stories a couple of years ago where like somebody pushed out 
one piece of bad code by accident and crash like a third of the internet. And then uh, also there, you know, potentially could be um, hostile to the type of content you're hosting, like a Jellyfin server, and they have rules against video streaming. Um, I don't know. Me personally, I've I've used Namecheap. I like Namecheap. Um, I know Orange Hosting is a really popular one in the privacy community. Um, 1984 is good but they're kind of expensive and also admittedly half their website never got translated from Icelandic but their support's pretty good so I don't know um if you're talking about just like a URL I don't think it really matters too much to be honest um if you're talking about hosting and everything then that turns into more of a question but I know Hetzner is is a really popular one for hosting but I know Seth talked about Seth for privacy mentioned a while back that they have like a hidden terms of service that they don't disclose, which yeah, is a little like unsettling. Cryptocurrency related stuff specifically, I think was what. Yeah, the, that's what it was. There. It's yeah. they they're specifically and they say they don't enforce it, but it's like but you could at any time and you don't disclose that. It's super shady in my opinion, but right. Hetzner's nice though. Like I wish they didn't have that because we actually use Hetzner for our forum and it's super affordable and it's a really good hosting service. But that aspect of it's definitely not great so if you're hosting anything like cryptocurrency related stuff i probably wouldn't use hetzner (laughs) yeah but i've heard good things about him so i don't know yeah domain name i i use namecheap but i don't think it really matters too much personally whatever you're comfortable with yeah the only thing i'd add um as kind of just something to consider i would also think about the security side of things um domain names can be something that are somewhat valuable especially That's if true. it's something that you want to protect. So for example, on the Techler side of things, like we have a domain name um, on our fronts. We used to use Orange website because uh, back in the day, I valued more of the privacy anonymity side of things. Um, but as things became a little bit more established and well, we are like an established entity. Uh, so everyone knows our domain and like who owns it, it's, which is me. <laughs> uh, so I don't really need as much of the anonymity side of things. And so I actually benefit more from the security. And we actually, I switched over everything to Cloudflare because I really like Cloudflare security features that they offer, owners of domain names. Um, so it doesn't have to be Cloudflare. It can be whatever you're personally comfortable with. So I would at least ensure they have 2FA and they have a good track record and they have any features there to protect you, whatever that option is. David Johnson asks, do you know of privacy respecting FOSS software for contact management that has greater functionality than a simple spreadsheet and goes beyond storing contact information? They kind of want what Facebook provides where you could record and retrieve not only contact info, but things like significant dates, favorite foods, etc. Um, yeah, this is tough. You're pretty much asking for a fully-fledged contact management uh, situation. There is one service that's called Davex that synchronizes contacts across services. Um, but it's I found it to be pretty messy, but you're also talking about using... like. <laughs> SQL databases and things like that. So you might actually be down for something like this, but I don't know if it's going to have all the features you're looking for, Um, but it should support like notes within contacts. Um, But yeah, I personally like to have X for that, but that's the only thing I know of outside of self-hosting something yourself, which is another option. So if you have like a Synology box or you have a NAS or anything like that, you can host it on your own end of things. And then you can actually sign in on each operating system with those credentials to start syncing via uh, CardDAV. So that's an option for you. I think where you're really going to run into issues is you say like important dates, favorite foods, favorite artists, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's a, a really tall order. Um, 
that said, I mean, yeah, there's different options out there that do more than just name and phone number. Um, the most comprehensive one I'm aware of, and like you said, this is kind of a not right for everybody, but uh, Nextcloud. I'm looking at Nextcloud right now, and I see name, title, company, and this is just by default. Name, ti- name title, company, phone, email, actual address, birthday, address book, uh, contact groups, and then if I go to add more info, I can add more phone numbers, emails, addresses, birthdays, website, social network, manager, and if I click on more, I get anniversary, date of death, Oh, I can update my mom's contact info. I should have used her. <laughs> uh, de- <laughs> Sorry, that's messed up. Uh, detailed name, federated cloud ID, gender, instant messaging, location, nickname, notes, phonetic first and last name, related contacts, relationship to you, spoken languages, and time zone. And then again, there's that notes field, so you can even add like custom okay. information. Like That's probably going to be the best option you're going to get. But again, it's self-hosting Nextcloud, which is... Not always as user friendly as I wish it was. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> so, thanks for bringing up Nextcloud because in my head, I just associate NAS with immediately meaning Nextcloud in my head as well. Because like the onboard <laughs> tools, like Synology's contact stuff, but in my head, it's also like, well, it's like trivial to just set up Nextcloud if you already have the server running twenty four seven. So, thank you for specifically mentioning Nextcloud because it totally slipped my mind. That's well, for the one. record, Nextcloud, like to set it up on bare metal is actually not that hard. If you, right. you the guide is really good. There's just going to be a lot of like, there's just going to be a lot of little tweaks to optimize it. Okay. Our next question comes from the dressing gown. Another regular who says, who do you look for? I like this question. Who do you look for, for look to for trusted opinions on particular programs and apps that you aren't necessarily familiar with yourselves. Also with or- open source programs, will you parse the code yourself to verify? Uh, do you have any coding familiarity? So I can answer that one. I don't have any coding familiarity. I really want to, I would love to learn some basic cryptography, basic coding. So at least I can look at an app and know right off the bat, if it's absolute trash that everyone should avoid. Um, but I don't know any code right now, so I, I don't do any of that. Um, as for who do I look to, I, I mean, I have a lot of people. There's, um, I think we mentioned before, you know, we're, we're kind of in like a, a group chat with some other privacy people and, uh, you know, I look to some of those people and I, I reach out to kind of anyone I feel might be technically qualified. It really depends. Cause like I have a couple friends in my life who are open source experts. So if it's an open source question, I'll go to them. Um, I've, I mentioned before, I have one friend who's in law enforcement. So I like to hit him up and be like, Hey, have you heard of this program? Do you have any familiarity with it? Any opinions? Um, you know, I talk to some of the guys from privacy guides, uh, Carrie from firewalls, no stop dragons. If I think he knows something, um, I think I've reached out to one or two of the guys from Safing once or twice, like kind of just whoever I feel like has the relative or relevant experience uh, who might know more than I do. You can also sometimes you can trust some forums and some forum users. Uh, you can kind of see who not all the time, but sometimes you can kind of read a comment and see like, oh, this person kind of seems like they know what they're talking about. And um, but, you know, take that one with a grain of salt. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it kind of depends. I go to a lot of different people, but. I, I try to go to people that I feel like know what they're talking about and are qualified. Kind of the cool thing about uh, both Nate and I's job is we're instantly exposed to people who know, like Nate was saying, a lot about specific fields. 
Um, I'd say we probably have a very good broad understanding of many of the fields put together, which is a very nice perspective to have. And I think it's why we can run these podcasts. But when it comes to like, okay, here are the technical differences between um, Monero's anonymity versus I, I don't know, like some other cryptocurrency project, Zcash, like Zcash, Zcash with <laughs> with all the privacy protections enabled within Zcash. Here are the very technical differences between when one is better than the other. That's where we're going to be less familiar. And that's when I'm messaging Seth for privacy going, hey, you're familiar with this. Can you please fill me in on this? Um, or if there's something regarding progressive web apps and a new feature Apple's rolling out, I'm texting John Osbay from Crypty and I'm going, hey, why, like, can you like give me your opinion on this? Um and so we're like, like Nate was saying, it really is just kind of like you build a network over time. And we do have that network, which is really nice where we can. And we have the privilege of just being able to DM people that we trust, that we know, know what the hell they're talking about. And they're normally able to fill us in. And actually, it's not uncommon for some of them to send me messages after I record something. Um, and they'll be like, hey, like, this is like not entirely wrong, but just FYI next time, just so you know. So a lot of times they'll actually catch <laughs> me um, on like minor things that like, might be wrong and sometimes i'm just flat out wrong but a lot of times it's like minor things like um actually there was a a good example uh in one of these surveillance supports i mentioned how progressive web app support on like windows wasn't good or something like that or i wasn't happy with it and i i got a message from john (laughs) from crypty who's the web app guy he's like actually it's super good you can even like host web apps inside the play store super easily and stuff like this and i'm like i didn't know any of that so um yeah kind of the benefits of having that network, which is really cool. And I'm very happy that I have that and um, makes things easy to, on my end, to be able to get answers to things quickly. And if there's no one I know who has an answer to something and I have to research something myself, which we both have to do as well, we're always researching things on our own as well. um, Then it's really just like parsing through what we consider like reputable sources uh, and just trying to get information. And we also kind of, we both have a pretty good BS radar at this point. Um, because we deal with so many projects and so many different things all the time where we both can pretty much go, yeah, this seems a little bit weird. Why is it weird? And we normally can figure that out too. So as a, also that or I'll do like I did earlier where I say like, Hey, this is outside my skill level. I'm not super familiar with this, but here's my impressions. Right. I didn't know John watches the podcast. Hi, John. John watches (laughs) everything we do. John is a big fan, which makes me so happy. Actually, um, that's something I have to remind myself of. Um, with, with the not the programming, but like the fact that people watch the stuff we do, um, it's always trippy to me because when I'm in when I'm in the process of making something, I just get lost in making something. Right. And sometimes I rush things out, and I'm not happy with the end result. Once I put it out and I watch it again, and I go, oh, I wish I took more time on this. Mm-hmm. And then I and then I remember like, oh, crap. There's like. Lots of people who I actually really respect who watch this stuff. And, like, that, like, freaks me out sometimes. Um, Well, not even that. I just feel bad sometimes when I rush out, or not even rush, but I put out a video and somebody will leave a comment, like, a nice comment where they're just like, hey, FYI, you forgot this, this, like, really important, like, somebody mentioned on my VoIP video recently, they're like, my pseudo pay doesn't work on Android. And I'm just like, fuck, how did I miss that? Like... Right. Just things like that, that I'm like, how did I miss that? That was such a big one. I'm so sorry. Last question is from Joe. What do you think is the best license for an open source project money-wise? I've seen Vivaldi's so-called source available situation, which seems to me like a great middle ground between floss and proprietary. Also, what do you think might be a business solution for the FOSS scene? In my opinion, it's such a niche market. The only solution may be to vertically integrate projects into one, like joint phone and SIM manufacturers with Proton 
to denote a signal, etc. Uh, who do you think might be in a position to do that? If you must choose, please answer the second question. Love seeing you guys. Wish you all the best. Thank you for the kind words. That's really nice. Um, uh, I, I am not an expert on uh, licensing for open source projects. Uh, I'll start with that. But what I will say is it really depends from what I've seen on the open source project because you can actually be entirely open source. But you it, it, companies that have any kind of hosting have a huge advantage here. So I'm thinking ProtonMail is a great example because Proton, there is hosting involved. There's an actual service. So Proton can be entirely open source, but that doesn't matter because they're the ones who are hosting your data and that's what you pay for when you use Proton. They have the free plan too, but that's how they're able to get away with charging money. They're giving you, what, terabytes of data at this point, um, depending on the plan that you pick. And so when you have any kind of hosting, you're actually able to get away with things like that. And speaking of simple... Uh, simple mobile tools, uh, they have the whole suite of simple apps on F-Droid. They actually tried developing a phone, um, which I think had issues. They asked me to send the phone back. Uh, they did send me a phone to do a review, and I had to send back the review unit because they had some kind of manufacturing issues with the phones or something. But that's an example of a project where there was no kind of hosting. It's just local software that's open source. And in that situation, it's really hard to make money because all you can do is ask people to pay for it. Um, and in that situation, I think that's why there is some incentive for the simple team to go out of their comfort zone and try to build a product and something that can actually bring in a more consistent revenue stream. So I think it really depends on the service. Okay, I do have one thing to add here, uh, which is one very easy way to, I think, help a lot of open source projects is have licenses and have systems in place where companies have to pay them if they use their software. Because there are a lot of proprietary projects that are dependent on open source projects that never even compensate the open source projects. And they're actually profiting and making money off of the proprietary projects. So that's a very clear issue there that I see because there actually is a very good business model there where the open source projects are helping someone else make money and they're not getting anything in return. So if there's a way to deal with that issue, I think that's already a way for some open source projects to make money. If you have a recent car, like the kind that has a, a digital display... Go through the menu and find the open source credits. I believe it. It's it's eye-opening. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, open source licenses, I also don't have a lot of experience with that one. Um, I do have a decent amount of experience with Creative Commons because, again, I come from a music background. But other than that, I don't know anything about GPL, Apache, AGPL. Don't know. Going to be honest, don't care. Um, Creative Commons does everything I need it to, so I'm cool with that. Um, I like, what is the best license? I mean, that really, that really depends on what you're going for. Like if you're like the new oil, for example, my, my license is attribution only. And that's because I don't really care what people like. If people want to take my content, good, spread the word around. I don't care. And also if you're ripping off my content, you're probably not going to be able to monetize it very well because you're relying on me and you don't have anything to stand on on your own. So go ahead and try to monetize it, whatever. Um, it, it, yeah, it really depends on like what you're trying to do, what you're trying to go for. Um, I know, uh, what's his name? Cory Doctorow. He releases all his books under creative commons and you can like write fan fictions and all kinds of stuff. And I, there's look up a list of albums that have been released under the creative commons license. You'd be surprised. There's big names on there, like nine inch nails. That's actually how I got introduced to creative commons is nine inch nails. There's, um, the lonely Island. Um, there's a few others. Big names. I can't remember right, off the top Baloney of my head. Right, Island. Yeah. <laughs> the Lonely Island. 
Uh, <laughs> right, the Lonely Andy, Island. Yeah, Andy yeah, Samberg's like, band. Oh, that's my, right. My you're favorite 12. band, the Lonely you Island. You don't. You're twelve. You don't remember them. But anyone who was like cognitive <laughs> at at in around like 2012 will remember. I'm SNL, sure everyone like knows. Boss. Baloney Island. <laughs> like a boss. Huh? You don't remember that song? Threw it on the ground. Whatever. It's Andy Samberg's band. Trust me. There, there's some people that know him. You're just too young. We'll um, see but what anyways, people say in the comments. Oh, I'm gonna love this one. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's all I got on licenses. Um, what might be a business solution? I think it really depends. Uh, like like Henry made a good point with that. It really depends on the product because like freemium could be a good solution. You know, uh, personally, I don't have any issues with that as long as it's reasonable. Don't pay wall features you actually need. Cough cough. Last pass. I know they're not FOSS, but just for example, um, you know, but like, I think freemium could be a good one. Uh, I certainly think there's nothing wrong with accepting donations regardless. Cause sometimes there's people who are like, I don't really need this thing, but here have 10 bucks. Um, I, I think, uh, you made a good point about a, a service or, oh man, what was I going to say? Oh, ads. We, I, th- I think, I've had so many conversations, my brain is starting to melt. But like, I was having a conversation with someone today about ads. Like, as much as we don't like ads, you know, contextual ads, if it's privacy respecting and it's not invasive and it's not intrusive, and it, again, it depends on your product. Like, I could theoretically, I'm not going to just because I hate ads, but theoretically, if I found a way to put contextual ads onto the new oil, I think that would make sense because it's a website. You know, I wouldn't put them on like, uh, uh, Signal. Like, I wouldn't put ads in Signal. That would just be weird. Um, And then, last but not least, like, as far as vertical integration, I mean, that would be really nice. But as we've seen, that's really hard. Like, Simple tried to make a phone. There's um, another project that has been promising that there's going to be a phone for, like, two years now. And I haven't heard anything about that. Like, um, I mean, even, even Calyx, when they give away their phones, it's like, they just admit they're flashing a, a, a pixel, which I mean, so does nitro key to be fair, but you know, it's, it's, it's really hard, especially to like, to do something from scratch there. You know, it's, it's one thing to do like Calyx and like nitro key do where they're like, we're just going to take a phone and flash it for you and charge you a premium. It's another thing to like, we're going to get together with a manufacturer and build something from scratch. I, I think that's a lot harder and a lot more expensive than people realize. And uh, it's just, I'll end on this. This might be controversial, but I think the best solution for open source software is to start appealing to people. And I hate to sound like a dick because I'm not a programmer and I can't contribute, but like clearly privacy alone. And we've been, I, I think everybody's been saying this for years, but years, but like clearly just having privacy as your selling feature is not a selling feature for most people. It is for us, for all the people watching this and like the hardcore fans. But like my wife is expert at getting friends and family to switch to signal. She has never once gotten somebody to switch by being like, Oh, it's a secure messenger. Yeah. I don't, she gets it. them to, yeah, she gets them to switch it. from like, there's there's Giphy, there's you know stickers, there's group chats, there's no limit on how long the audio files can be. I'm sure there is, but it's astronomically high. There's you know high quality photo sends cross like, platform. Doesn't matter if you're yeah. on iOS or Android. Yep, cross platform. Like those are how she gets people to switch over. And I I think I hate to say it, but I think for 
for privacy products, for FOSS products to be able to compete. It's not enough just to be like, this thing gives you data sovereignty or, you know, this thing gives you privacy. Like my mother wouldn't even know what data sovereignty is. I would have to explain that concept to her. So you need to have something that sells people and makes them say like, oh, that has something I want. And I think that's really what we're missing right now. Well, that's it for the questions this week. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Q&A. And if you want to ask us a question, can be about our personal lives, could be about Bloons Tower Defense, which I've been playing <laughs> lately. Um, and uh, it could be about anything, privacy and security, technology. Uh, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. There's a link down in the description. And you can go ahead and not only ask us a question, but you'll be contributing to the free podcast where we cover privacy and security news every almost every week. So thank you all and we'll see you next week.